Let's pray as we come to hear God's word preached. Let's talk to God. Father, we thank you for your word and that you speak to us today through it. Thank you for the all scripture which has been inspired by you, breathed out by you for us. And Lord, this morning as we come to look at this familiar part of the Bible for many of us, these stories that we know so well, Lord, we ask you not to say anything new to us, but simply to remind us of the gospel, to remind us why Christ came, to grasp again all that he has done for us on the cross. Lord, speak to us all this morning, we pray, through these words, through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. If I was to ask you this morning, what is your greatest need? I wonder what you'd instinctively tell me. Or I wonder if I was to ask you this morning, what is the greatest need of your your friends or your family members or your colleagues? I wonder what you'd say to me. Money, maybe. Maybe your greatest need this morning or the greatest need of a friend or family member is money. Maybe they're struggling financially and, and they really need some extra help. Maybe the answer to that question is company. Maybe you're here this morning and you're lonely. Maybe those you know and love are lonely and maybe their greatest need is just someone to be a friend to them and to to give them some company. Maybe you're here this morning and and the greatest need you have or someone you know has is healing. Maybe you're here this morning and you're ill. Maybe you're here this morning and and someone very dear to you is very, very ill. And if I was to ask you what's your greatest need, what's their greatest need, the answer might be better health. Or healing? The answers could be endless. You know, I really need more time to get everything done that I need to do. I really need less stress in my life. It's just all so busy and hectic. I need less stress in it. I need a job. I need a new job. I need any job. I need a life partner. I need someone to go through life with. The answers to that question for each of us is very different. What's your greatest need this morning? It's interesting, at the start of Matthew 9, a man is brought before Jesus, and his greatest need is really obvious, isn't it? He's paralyzed. Here's a man, and he's brought before Jesus, and his greatest need that he knows of, and his greatest need that his friends know of, his greatest need is to have the use of his limbs. This man can't walk. This man can't work. This man can't do anything that you and I could do. Can you imagine just how awful it must have been to be in his position? Imagine being paralyzed. Imagine the difficulty of that. How awful would that be? And then imagine, to make it even worse, they they didn't live in a society where there was an NHS. There was no treatment. There was no physio. There was no respite. There were no wheelchairs. There was no disabled access. To be paralyzed in the ancient world was even worse than it is today. This man's greatest need, it was so obvious to him, it was so obvious to his friends, his family. If you were to ask them, what's this guy's greatest need? They'd all tell you, it's for his lifeless limbs to work. It's for the healing of his limbs. And so this man's friend, they they find out that Jesus is in town. Look at verse 2. Some men brought to Jesus a paralyzed man lying on a mat. 
Jesus, he's, he's in Capernaum. He's just come across the Sea of Galilee, back from where he was last week when we saw him. And he comes to town, and lots of people hear he's there. And, and, Matthew, and Mark and Luke, they tell us that people got around where he was. They got into this little house, and Jesus was healing people and teaching people. And this man's friends, they hear that Jesus is there. And so what do they do? Well, they put him on a stretcher, and they carry him to where Jesus is. And you know, from the other Gospels, they get up onto the roof because they can't get through the door, and they dig this, this hole in the roof, and they lower the man before Jesus. This man's greatest need, that's what they can see. They need, he needs healing. He needs the use of his limbs again. The man himself, that's what he thinks his greatest need is. He needs healing. He needs the use of his limbs again. And so he's brought before Jesus, the one who can command waves to stop, can certainly make this man start running, can't he? They lay him in front of Jesus. But when they do, they get a big surprise. This series, do you remember what it's called? Surprised by Jesus? Well, these men would have been very, very surprised at what Jesus did next. And the first readers of Matthew's gospel, they would have been surprised too. And if we think about it logically, here's a man and he's paralyzed. What Jesus does next is very, very surprising. Because Jesus doesn't heal him. Jesus doesn't heal him. Yet. But he doesn't heal him. Look what he says. Look, he's laid in front of Jesus. And look at the second half of verse 2. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, what are we expecting? We're, we're expecting him to say, he said to them, get up and walk. It's going to be brilliant. You're healed. But Jesus doesn't say that. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, verse 2, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. What? Do, you know, you can, you can imagine they're thinking, Jesus, do you, know, do you not kind of see why we brought him here? Jesus, are you not getting why he's here? Are, are you not seeing what we're seeing? This man's paralyzed. He can't walk. What, what are you talking about sin for? Why are you forgiven his sin? We've not brought him here for his sin to be forgiven. We've brought him here for his greatest need to be met. We've brought him here for healing. It's a bit like Jesus has missed the point, isn't it? But Jesus has not missed the point. No, what Jesus is doing here is he's making a point. He's not missed the point. He's making a point. And what is the point he's making? Well, it's not difficult to work out. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that for this man, his greatest need is not in fact the healing of his limbs. His greatest need is the forgiveness of his sin. That's the point Jesus is making here. He looks at this paralyzed man, and when he says, your sins are forgiven, he's making the point that this man's greatest need is not the healing of his limbs, but it is the forgiveness of his sins. I want you to imagine that someone has been in a car crash, and they're rushed to hospital in the ambulance, and they're there in accident and emergency, and they're surrounded by a huge team of doctors. And they're assessing the multiple injuries that the person has. So they've got bleeding uh, legs. There's blood everywhere. They're badly grazed. It's very clear that they've got a broken arm and a broken collarbone just by the shape of them. 
But what the CT scan says is that they've also got a bleed on the brain. What's the doctor going to treat first? What's the doctor going to attend to first? What is this person's greatest need? Yes, their arms are broken. Yeah, yes, they're bleeding from their legs. But their greatest need is the fixing of the bleed in their brain. Because if that's not fixed, if that's not dealt with, if that's not sorted, it won't matter if their arms get better because they're going to die. And it's like whenever this man is put before Jesus, he sees that he can't walk. He sees that he's paralyzed. He understands how awful his life is. He sees that this is a need the man has. But it's like Jesus has the CT scan. It's like Jesus has the result of the full body MRI. And what Jesus knows is that this man, like all of us, is someone who is a sinner. And what Jesus knows is that the greatest need this man has is the forgiveness of his sin. Because if he's not forgiven, if his sin is not cleansed, if his slate is not cleaned, as we find out later in the Bible, the wages of sin is death. Folks, when Jesus says to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, the point he's making is that this man's greatest need and my greatest need and your greatest need and the greatest need of everyone you rub shoulders with every single day of night, the greatest need that we all have is the forgiveness of our sins. I don't know about you, but I started thinking about the paralyzed man. And I started thinking about the life he must have lived. And one of the things that got me thinking was, well, this man didn't really have very many opportunities to sin. He couldn't steal, could he? Because he couldn't move. He couldn't commit adultery. He couldn't murder. He couldn't do a lot of things that we think of as being sinful. And my guess is that whenever this paralyzed man thought of himself, he probably didn't even think of himself as a sinner because he hadn't really done things that were sinful. My guess is, too, that whenever the man's friends looked at this man, they they didn't really think of him as as a sinner either. And my guess is, here this morning, that as you and I sit here, we don't really think of ourselves as sinners either. My guess is that whenever we think of the people we work with who are actually good people and moral people and kind people who do good things, we don't really think of them as sinners either. And so it's hard, isn't it? It's hard for us to understand that our greatest need is forgiveness. And it's hard for us to understand that the greatest need of everyone we know, even those good people we know who do good things, is forgiveness. But can I suggest the reason why we find it so hard to understand, the reason we find it so hard to think of ourselves as sinners and others as sinners, is because our understanding of what sin is, is pretty poor. And I don't just mean you and me, I just mean in general. Today in the church, 
our understanding of what sin is can be pretty, well, rubbish. Because when we think of sin, we think of it as outward actions. So we think of it as stealing, or we think of it as murdering, or we think of it as fighting, or we think of it as as saying hurtful things. We think of it all as action. But whenever you read the Bible, what you'll see over and over again is that sin is not primarily about outward action. Sin is about inward, inward, inward motivation, inward thoughts, inward attitudes. You see, sin is not primarily about the outward action. Sin in the Bible is about inward attitude and motivation. And whenever you start to think about that, whenever I start to think about that, I start to grasp why I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. Because there are three things that all humans do, even humans who who want to follow God, there are three things they do inwardly that are sinful and wrong and not how God wants us to live. The first, they all begin with R. First of all, we rebel against God. Instead of loving God, inwardly, there's actually a part of us that hates Him. Instead of loving God inwardly, there's a part of us that doesn't like Him very much. And so to show our hatred of Him or to show that we don't like Him, we rebel against Him. God says to us in the Bible, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And we inwardly, will we hate Him or we dislike Him? Because He's threatening to get involved in our lives. He's threatening to ruin our plans. And so like a teenager who who shows their hatred of their parents by rebelling against them, that's what we do to God, isn't it? We defy him. We see how he wants us to live. We know what he wants us to do. We know how he wants us to think. We know how he wants us to live, and we defy him. We say, no, I'm not doing it your way. I'm doing my own thing. I'm choosing my own paths. I'm not listening to you. I'm going against you here. We rebel against God. And even if we're Christians, we do it, don't we? don't think it's just me. And then there's another inward attitude towards God. What do we do? We reject Him. We push Him away. We push Him away. He comes to us, doesn't He? He comes to us every Sunday morning through the Scriptures, and He, and he starts to knock on the door of our hearts and our lives. He starts to knock on the door, and what do we do? We say, get away, keep out. Reject God. We don't let Him in. We might come to church like we're here this morning. We we might come and kind of acknowledge His existence. We might come and kind of pay our respects, hoping that God won't squash us if we do that. But we can come to church week after week and shut our ears and our eyes and our minds to what He says in His Word. We can come here week after week after week and harden our hearts. Harden ourselves 
against God. Maybe you've had the experience of coming to church and actually hearing God start to knock on the door of your life and start to speak to you. And what you've said to him is, no thanks. Don't come in. I'll come and see you next Sunday, but don't you follow me home, God. Because I don't want you in my life. I don't want you messing up my plans. We reject God. And all of us do it at times, don't we? There are times when we know that God is saying something to us through his word. And we shut our ears to it. We reject him. And then the last thing we do is we replace him. We replace him. We replace him with something else. We give things the place that God should have in our life. We live for other things rather than God. We give our allegiance to other things rather than God. We look to other things for our meaning and satisfaction and direction. We give other things the place that God should have in our lives. We live like he's dead. He might as well be dead for some of us because we don't give him any place in our lives. Can you see (laughs) the sin in your life? Because I see it in mine. When I think about rebellion, when I think about rejection, when I think about replacement, when I think about attitudes, when I think about motivations, when I think about how I treat God, then what I see very clearly is that I am a sinner, a sinner in need of forgiveness. Can you see now why your friends need forgiveness? Can you see now why your family members need forgiveness? Can you see why you sitting here this morning also need forgiveness? Can you see why it's your greatest need? Because all of us are sinners. All of us fail. All of us have gone against God. And the problem is that because of our sin, according to the Bible, because we've sinned, because we've replaced God, because we've rejected Him, because we've rebelled against Him, we've really offended Him. Sometimes I think that we think that God isn't bothered by sin, but He is. He is offended. Can you imagine a parent and their child coming up to them and saying to them, listen, mom, I get that you're my mom, but I don't want you in my life anymore. You can maybe understand it if the mom was terrible or abusive or, or something like that, but do you imagine a mom who has just loved and cared for and provided for and given everything to this child? Can you imagine how offended that mother would be? How hurt that mother would be? Can you get it? And this is what sin does. It it offends God. It offends Him. God is very patient with us. God stands each day with mercy on offer, with mercy available. God stands each day inviting you to turn back, inviting people to return to Him. But if they don't, if there is no turning back, if there is no repentance, if there is no looking to Christ for forgiveness, 
what the Bible says is that one day God's patience will come to an end and there'll be consequences. The consequences of living this life with unforgiven sin is that you won't know God. You won't experience him. You won't have your prayers heard. You won't know his blessing. If you live your life and you've not trusted Jesus and you've not had that cleansing, then you don't have God. But if you continue in this life and you continue to reject his forgiveness and you continue to reject his son and you don't run to him for that cleansing, the Bible says in very graphic picture language, you'll be shut away from the presence of the Lord forever in a place of darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you see why forgiveness is our greatest need? Because we're all sinners and the wages of sin is death. But folks, Jesus didn't just say to this man, your sins are forgiven to make the point that we need forgiveness. He doesn't do it just for that reason. He does it also to show us where forgiveness is found. He does it too to show us that forgiveness is not something we have to try to earn, that it's not something we try to have to work our way towards, but it's something that we can receive by putting our faith in him. You see, whenever Jesus said to this man, your sins are forgiven, the religious people got furious. What's he doing? He's blaspheming. He's saying he's able to forgive sins. Only God can do that. But what does Jesus do? He turns to them and he says to them, I tell you what, to show you that I have the authority and the power to forgive this man's sin, what I'm going to do is I'm going to visibly demonstrate the power I have. I'm going to show you that I have God's power to forgive by showing you that I have God's power to heal. And so he says to the man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Folks, Jesus can forgive us. Jesus can forgive you. Jesus can forgive me. Jesus can give forgiveness to every person out there who trusts in him and turns to him. You see, Jesus doesn't just go, listen, you're all sinners, you need forgiveness, you're in trouble, you're all doomed. That would be awful, wouldn't it? What he does is he says, listen, you're all sinners. You're all in trouble. But my Father loves you. And my Father has sent me to die for you. Yeah, you've rebelled against the Father. Yes, you've rebelled against God. But he loves you so much, he sent me to make a way for you to know him and be forgiven by him and accepted by him. You see, Jesus came to forgive sinners. You get on to the second half of Matthew chapter 9, and there you have Matthew, and he's not like the paralyzed man. Everyone knows he's a sinner. He extorts more money than he's owed. He's a thief, if you like. And yet, what does Jesus do to this man? He says, come follow me. Come follow me. Come on, Matthew. Come and trust me as your Savior. Come on, Matthew. Come and live with me as your leader. And Matthew does. You see, folks, Jesus came 
not to call righteous people. He came to call sinners. He came to forgive sinners. He came to transform sinners. He came to forgive. If you're here this morning and you have trusted in Jesus as the forgiver of your sins, I want you to remember that his mercies are new every morning. If you're here this morning and and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, you've trusted him for salvation, I want you to remember every single morning you wake up, there's mercy there for you that day. Jesus doesn't just wipe the slate clean one day and kind of hopes you'll do better the next. He wipes the slate clean every single day for you. If our trust is in Christ, we're forgiven sinners. But this morning, maybe you're here and you've not trusted in Christ. You're in church. That's good. You have respect for God. That's good. You sing hymns. That's good. You're involved in things. That's good. But folks, please hear me very clearly this morning. You may come to church. You may be involved. You may sing hymns. You may be part of this church family. But if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, you're not forgiven of your sin. If you've not trusted in Jesus Christ, you've not been forgiven of your sin. You know the hymn, don't you? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not church attendance. Not respect of God. Not being involved. Not singing the hymns. What can wash us white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Folks, I am preaching this because your greatest need is the forgiveness of your sins. I'm preaching this because the greatest need you have is the forgiveness of your sins. Earlier on, we read the Apostles' Creed. And uh, legend, I'm stating legend, okay, not fact. Legend has it that the apostles themselves wrote this creed. Uh, And again, one of the legends is, and I like this legend, is that each apostle kind of wrote a different line to it. Uh, And in some ways, I can picture that. You know, so whenever it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, I can imagine Peter writing that. Because you remember, who, who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I can imagine Peter writing that. And then you've got the line that says, on the third day he rose again. And I can imagine Thomas writing that. You remember doubting Thomas? I refuse to believe it. And then he meets the resurrected Lord. I can imagine him writing that. But there's a line I can, rem- I can imagine Matthew writing. And it's this line. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? Do you believe that your sin, all of it, every last ounce of it can be forgiven? You should. 
you should. Because that's why he died. Christ is able to forgive every sin, every thought, every word, every deed, every motive. He is able to forgive. Do you remember the line we heard at the start of the service? His mercies never come to an end. They are new each morning. This morning, if you've not done it, would you receive his mercy? Would you take Jesus as your savior? Would you accept his death on your behalf? Would you bow the knee and say to him, I'm flawed and I need help, Lord. Forgive me. Wouldn't today be a great day to stop rejecting Christ and start living for him? Let us pray together. Let's talk to God. Father, there are some parts of Scripture that we come to and there's nothing new in them for us. Nothing new to hear because we've heard it before. And this morning, Lord, my guess is that that each of us here this morning have heard that before, that our greatest need is the forgiveness of sins and that Christ is the one who can forgive them. But Father, I would pray this morning that if you're knocking on the door of someone's heart this morning, if you're convicting them of their sin, if you're exposing their need of Christ, maybe for the first time, that Lord, they won't refuse you, that they won't reject you, but that they will bow before you and accept the forgiveness that you offer them. Lord, thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that those of us who are in Christ receive them every single day. And Lord, we pray this morning that those who have not yet received would receive the grace and mercy and forgiveness that is offered to them in Christ. Lord, we continue to work on this as we go home and in this week. Remind us of the great forgiveness we have earned for us by Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.